When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. This is a game day podcast from TalkSport. Hello and welcome to the Game Day Podcast from TalkSport with me, Sam Matterface, Darren Lewis from The Mirror and TalkSport's football commentator and transfer man, Alex Crook. Seagull's stunner, Arteta left red-faced and can we possibly ignore a record scoreline? Nine! We'll glance back and look forwards as another week of Premier League action blows our mind. Mersey sliders, City slip into top gear as Liverpool crave home improvement, which means that this weekend, Super Sunday, is absolutely critical for Klopp if he wants to get back to the top. Some crackers on Saturday too with Manchester United against away day bosses Everton and Arsenal heading to Villa. Plus Fulham West Ham and the latest instalment of Sheffield United's rebirth. All on the podcast that has ordered a Mike Dean t-shirt from the PGMOL merch store. It's the game day podcast from TalkSport. This is Game Day. Hello and welcome to the podcast too. Darren Lewis from The Mirror. How are you? I'm really well. I'm really impressed that you managed to say all of that without stopping once. <laughs> Take the seven, fifth time of asking. Take 75. Uh, Alex Cook is here as well. Hello, how are you? Good, good. You know what? It's been a really good week. I think deadline day was, was more exciting than we anticipated and the football it was? On, on Tuesday and Wednesday in particular was, was fantastic. Yeah, I thought deadline day... Um, you know, with the Josh King saga, Maitland-Niles, Newcastle trying to be busy, Liverpool signing a random from the championship. I thought there were stories there. Were you excited by Transfer Deadline? I must admit, I, I watched Hamilton, the musical. <laughs> That's very good, to be fair. It is uh, very good, yeah. yeah, yeah. So. Excited to be rock- in the room speak. where it happens. You <laughs> see? There you go. Um... I think obviously because I had a vested interest, Liverpool buying two centre-halves solving their problem in the short term at least. Uh, I was quite intrigued by Kabak and I love the fact that once more a big club has gone back into the championship rather than bowed to whatever exorbitant price another Premier League uh, or Champions League club has, has demanded for their player. Um, obviously it's come far too late for what's happened this week. Don't talk about that. But yeah, I like transfer deadline there. I agree with 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 you, Crook. I think that in general terms, we knew it was going to be a, a blockbuster, but we knew that players would move and they did. And then, of course, on Tuesday night, we had the 9-0. And, and Crook, you, you had a vested interest in this because you've uh, you, you've dismantled the reputation of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer over the course of the, the year and a half that you've been doing this podcast. Um, and Manchester United have just recorded yet another record win. 
Um, and it was against a team on your patch, Southampton, and King Ralph. I mean, there's not many kings, are there, that, that managed to survive uh, two absolute beheadings like that? No, and actually, Adrian Durham on drive this week mate, made some good points. If, if Steve Bruce or Sam Allardyce had lost 9-0 twice, then the knives would be out. But I do think Ralph has got off a bit lightly um, with this one. It wasn't as bad as the Leicester game. I mean, they were absolutely dismal it in was, that match. It was, it was pretty bad. Lowest the low, but... The, the problem here was he didn't change the system. <laughs> you know, just let United attack against 10 men. Surely once it got to four or five nearly, he should have just stuck everybody behind the ball and, and gone damage limitation. But I do wonder if maybe there was a bit of a message to the Southampton board in the way that that game panned out. Two goalkeepers on the bench, full of kids, clearly didn't get what he wanted out of transfer deadline day. And I do think now, if the opportunity came to move to a bigger club, I think, Maybe privately, Ralph believes that he's taken this Southampton team under the current ownership as far as he can. I think uh, he thought he was very close to a move elsewhere earlier in January. We'll leave that one hanging there. Darren Lewis said earlier he didn't want us to talk about Liverpool, so let's do just that. Mane's got it again, in from Doherty, right footed towards the far corner, spurned away by Lloris, comes back to Trent Alexander-Arnold, it's 2-0 now. Mares calling for it on the right-hand side of the box. Brings it down brilliantly to kill it. Moves infield into the box and fires it in for number four. Quite, quite brilliant from Riyad Mahrez. Liverpool had plenty of possession, but not the ability, really, to test Sanchez in the visitors' goal. Brighton's victory was the first time Liverpool had lost successive league games at home since September 2012. It finished here, Liverpool nil, Brighton won. Lofted back into the box by Rodri. Mahrez across the face of goal, and Sterling tucks it home. That is another majestic goal from Manchester City. Pep Guardiola applauds on the touchline, and why not? Absolutely sublime stuff from Pep Guardiola's men. This is how you go top of the Premier League. Liverpool against Manchester City is the big Sunday afternoon 4.30 kickoff. Matip out for the season. No Gomez, no Van Dijk, no Fabinho. Alisson's been ill. Jota's not ready to come back yet. Injuries certainly have played their part. But the fact that Jurgen Klopp's side, despite the fact that they did have Mo Salah in the starting lineup, mustered just one shot on target against Brighton as they played from side to side, throwing aimless crosses into the penalty area, um, was a sight to behold on Wednesday night. It's the first time, Darren, since 1984 that Liverpool have failed to score in three consecutive games at Anfield. And... If that is the case against the Manchester City team that do not concede goals, and I mean they really don't concede goals, then how on earth are they going to get themselves back in the title race? Because the only way they can do that is by winning here. You're absolutely right. I think there's a there's a fabulous stat about Manchester City that they have not conceded a goal from open play since October. And that was against Porto in the Champions League. And that's wow. the scale of the task facing a Liverpool side, as you say, that have the goals of for whom the goals have dried up. Um, I think, as far as Liverpool are concerned, there are very clear reasons why they lost to Brighton, and not just lost, but played so badly. Uh, they're a tired side. They're a makeshift side. They're a side with midfielders playing at centre half. They're a, they were a side without the energy of Stadio Mane. Um, they are a side that are at the moment running on empty. Uh, and I'm not going to make any sort of 
moans about the squad not being deep enough because they've got a good squad there, but they've been killed by injuries. And the fact that they're even in the mix, it says a lot about the job that Klopp has done and the quality of the players that are there. But they need to play with orthodox centre-halves. Hopefully they'll do that. A real baptism of fire for the two centre-halves that they've signed if they throw them in against City. Uh, but I think you've got to because you've got to push Henderson into midfield. Yeah. You've got to have his energy and his drive there. Vinaldum will play there as well. Mane's got to come back into the side, obviously. I still think it will either be a draw or a City win, sadly, because I just think that Liverpool, they're struggling to get back to where they were. I think they'll get there. Every big team has had a bit of a dip. Crazy season, as we all know. But I think this might be City's day. Jason Cundy made a point on the TalkSport Sports Bar on Wednesday night. He said he wondered whether or not history was repeating itself because when Jurgen Klopp was in charge of Borussia Dortmund, he he rammed them so hard, he pushed them so hard, he made them work at such an unbelievable tempo that in the end they just run out of gas. Is there a suggestion that history is repeating itself or not? Well, you and Jason Cundy have just taken the words out of my mouth. Um, I, I think certainly you can draw parallels between what's going on at Liverpool now Uh, and what happened at Borussia Dortmund. And I think also in terms of key absentees, obviously in this case, it's because of injuries at Dortmund. It was because Bayern Munich came in and stole their best players. Um, So I I think it is a concern. And I slightly disagree with Darren when he calls this a blip because it was a blip when they lost 7-2 to Aston Villa. I, I don't think Liverpool have ever really hit top gear throughout the season. Yes, they've won games. But I've never looked at them and thought this is a side who were capable of retaining their title. If they did retain their title, it was only because Manchester City at the start of the season looked undercooked. But ever since City have found their rhythm, I think it's been very hard to make a case for, for Liverpool winning the league. We've spoken a lot about Liverpool. Let's concentrate on Manchester City because this is a team that at this moment in time have, have not come from nowhere, but almost stealth-like, just sort of motored through the choppy waters of the Premier League and found themselves at the top, Darren. And they've conceded four goals in their last 20 matches in all competitions. Four goals in 20 matches. Stones and Diaz have been superb. Gundogan, Rodri and Bernardo Silva have stepped up. And let's be clear, we talk about the absences that Liverpool have had, but they've been without Aguero for the entire season. Jesus has missed most of it. And even when he's there, he doesn't make anywhere near as in the sort of impact that some of the Liverpool forwards make. And Kevin De Bruyne has been out for nearly a month. Yeah, but what we can't do is be wise after the event. Lots of us were saying, could Guardiola rebuild this side? When they were uninspiring during the first half of the season, there were a lot of very knowledgeable people saying that maybe they were a bit stale. Maybe they couldn't do it without Aguero. Uh, I know you're pointing to yourself, so I'll let you pick up the slack here. What, What was I saying at the beginning of the season, Crook? Yeah, you were very confident that Manchester City would come good. Um, But... (laughs) Even a stop clock is right twice a day, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, look, look, look. I, w- I was at the game between them and West Ham at the London Stadium. And they were uninspiring. They were there for the taking. West Ham did show them a bit too much respect. But there was a sustained period during the early part of the season where it looked like maybe Guardiola had reached the end of the road and lots of people were saying so. So it's hard to be wise after the... Well, it's easy to be wise after the event, but I think as far as Guardiola is concerned, and maybe we can't give... We can give them credit, but we can't go too far overboard. When you have the expenditure that he has, 
You can go out and get a Cancelo. You can go out and get a Diaz. You can spend your way out of trouble. You do forget about all the money that you spent on the players that didn't work out. As soon as you hit on a formula that does. I think as far as uh, City are concerned, the big question had been, could he be the first manager since uh, Ferguson to rebuild a title-winning side and maybe get to a good place without players he'd inherited? And now we're starting to do that. And you've got to give him credit for that. But we can't overlook the fact that everybody at the start of the season looked undercooked because of COVID, because of the truncated summer period uh, where players couldn't get prepared for the the, the season in in time. There were lots of players missing with either injury or coronavirus. Come on, this has been a chaotic, it's been a, a, a mess of a season. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. United have nine! You know what I liked about the performance was the uh, hunger and attitude to do the right things and get better and better and practice the good habits. Into Fernandez inside the area. Fernandez low under the goalkeeper and in, and Manchester United are in front. I think we should just focus on ourselves and take one game at a time and not talk about any any title. Leeds United won, Everton two, Everton with a fourth successive away win in the Premier League. We want to be there until the end of the season to fight for the position in Europe, and we are there now, and I hope to be there also at the end of the season. Uh, on Saturday night at 8 o'clock, it's a rearranged match, isn't it? Because this was supposed to be on Monday night, but it's moved to Saturday evening. Manchester United against uh, Everton, uh, fresh from scoring nine against uh, Southampton. Now, Crook, Bruno Fernandes apparently wasn't the man of the match, despite the fact that he came up with two assists, scored a penalty, and basically walked around like he had a uh, cigar in his mouth for, for 90 minutes. But his impact over the year that he has been a Manchester United player is without doubt 
impossible to understate, isn't it? I mean, he is absolutely integral to what they do. There's rumours that they're going to offer him a new contract. Well, he could probably write his own cheque, to be honest, because he's that important to this Manchester United team. I think he's had more goal contributions than any other player in the Premier League since he walked in the building. And what what is even more impressive about that is that, obviously, he, he arrived in the January. COVID really started to hit in March in terms of restrictions. And I think it's been a problem for, for other clubs. We've mentioned the two Germans at, at Chelsea. Jason Tindall was sacked by Bournemouth this week. And I know there's a belief from him that even his young squad have been affected by the COVID restrictions. People like David Brooks have lost their mojo because he's struggling away from home. He's lost his best mate, Aaron Ramsdale. And, and, and mentally, he's not in a great place. The fact that Bruno Fernandes has come to a new country, obviously has spent a lot of time in, in, in isolation and still managed to thrive on the pitch is testament to his character, which you can't question. I've said before, for me, he is the true captain of that Manchester United team. He's the driving force. I think now they're in a great position with Liverpool's problems to finish as runners-up to Manchester City. If they do that, you have to say that will be success and a lot of it will be down to him. Darren, what do you think about their opponents on Saturday night, Everton? Because I watched their game with Leeds in midweek. I thought they were nothing short of terrific. Their performance was was excellent. It was a high-energy, high-octane, high-tempo performance. They've won the last four away from home. They've won five of the last six away from home, which they are unbeaten in. They're the away day bosses. Carlo Ancelotti gets it right on the road. He does. And you know what's really, really good for them too is Dominic Calvert-Lewin back on the goal trail after seven games without scoring. That's going to be so important. I do wonder if the arrival of a certain Josh King might well have just put a rocket up his tradesman's entrance. But I think as far as (laughs) he is concerned... Well, you know, that that competition, you know, King's 29, he's ready to, he hasn't scored for Bournemouth, his record being unimpressive this season, but I think he's been a player since the start of the season who has been ready to move, he's been unmotivated, he hasn't really been that bothered about playing in the championship, he might deny it, but I've seen it many times where footballers determined to leave their clubs, determined to go back to the Premier League, just basically go through the motions until they get their move, and I think once he gets his feet under the table as an Everton player. You look at the impact that Ancelotti's had on Calvert-Lewin. I think he can have a similar impact on King. And that's why I think maybe Calvert-Lewin's realised, I've got to get a move on here. So that's good for them. And I think this will be a tighter game than some people think. And I just say on Josh King, I spoke to someone at Bournemouth when this deal was in the offing on deadline day. And apparently they had a, a phone call from Everton uh, asking, was Josh King available? Clearly he was. How much do you want? And what's he like as a bloke? They lied on the last one. Why? Why did you say that? Because he isn't the best character. It'll be fine for Everton That's because he so has cool. he has motivation. He's got a six-month contract. He wants to get himself a, a big money deal in the summer, be that at Goodison or somewhere else in the Premier League. But he's not the kind of guy that you want in the trenches, which is why I think Fulham probably dodged a bullet um, when he chose Everton ahead of a move to Craven Cottage. I bet you he scores between five and ten goals before the end of the season. He probably will, because he, he's got he's got a necessity to do that and a motivation to do that. But the trouble is, Josh King plays when Josh King wants to. Josh King hasn't really turned up for Bournemouth since his move to Manchester United fell through this time last year. United's progress has been pretty steady uh, away from home, but at home they've only picked up 14 points. As, uh, do you think that Manchester United obviously... They're in a situation where they are now the second favourites for the title and certainly they're Manchester City's biggest contenders. 
if they have to improve anywhere, is it their home form, which hasn't always been as swashbuckling as maybe their away performances? It's not a home and away problem, I don't think. The stats tell us it is. It's, it's a problem when United are allowed to have the ball, which clearly is the case more often than not when they play at Old Trafford. That's why they've lost so many games there. And I think Carlo Ancelotti is a shrewd enough coach to exploit that. And I think that makes this a, a tricky fixture for Manchester United. They're not as bad this season as they were last in terms of breaking down teams who sit deep and allow them to have possession. But I think that is a, the main factor in why they've struggled to pick up wins at home. And as you say, Everton in, in buoyant form. But they're a team who'd like to play on the front foot as well. So I, th I think Ancelotti's going to have to be clever here because if they do go toe-to-toe, -to -toe, then that plays into Manchester United's hands. Well, what they did against Leeds is they just went man-marking all over the pitch and just tried to outrun them early in the game. And they they only had 46% of the ball, I think. I was looking at midway through the second half. So that they were quite happy not to have the ball in that match as well. And I, I, I wonder whether or not it's going to be one of those matches where both teams are quite happy not to have the ball and, and try and press each other high up inside opposition territory and see what happens. But it's going to be a fascinating match. It's live on TalkSport, 8 o'clock kickoff. I'll be there. Um, and I am very much looking forward to it. I'm going in for the kill. Jack Grealish has doubled Aston Villa's lead. Magnificent strike. With the players that we've got, like Ross Barkley, Jack Grealish, Ollie Watkins, Bertrand Traore, all of them at the moment can score at any given moment. Horror show for Arsenal tonight. It's Wolves 2, Arsenal 1, and Arsenal are now down to nine men. We took some pressure off ourselves with the situation we were on the table, but we know that uh, there is a long way to go and a lot of points to catch up. I'm Crook is going to be doing the live commentary on game day at 12.30 uh, this week on TalkSport. Aston Villa against Arsenal. Uh, Aston Villa in midweek, outclassed by West Ham, Darren Lewis. Listen, I've been talking a lot on this podcast about how well I think West Ham are doing and the job that David Moyes has been doing. I think largely because I got context in terms of covering the club during the days of every manager going back, gosh, around John about Lyle. 10 years now. I wouldn't go back that far. Thank you well, very much. You do remember, um, <laughs> do remember the 1974 World Cup. He's only 38. Oh, yeah, sorry. Exactly. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Thank you, Crook. I knew I could depend on you. Um, listen, David Moyes has laid down some foundations for lasting success. I know West Ham had a really good season similar to this in 2015-16. And then the following season, they fell away. Pyatt was sold. Bilic got the sack and it all fell to pieces again. And the banners started coming out and the anti-board protests started coming out. But this is different because I think Moyes is changing the mentality. Well, I know Moyes is changing the mentality. He's buying well defensively. They're stronger. Um, I was surprised at the approach for the Liverpool game last weekend, but we saw more what of what West Ham are about when they beat a very good Aston Villa side. Lingard is an outstanding signing for them. And I think that they are really, I think they're going to hang in there in that top six position. I, I, I think that they are good enough to do that. And I, I think that this could still end up being a really good season for West Ham. And congratulations to Jesse Lingard, who scored his uh, two goals at Villa Park for West Ham United. But he scored them um, in successive appearances, actually. You know, it was it was back-to-back -back games for Jesse Lingard. They were just 192 days apart, those <laughs> Those guys. Uh, Villa uh, have won just two of their last eight. Have they had a bit of a wobble, Alex Crook? Yeah, maybe. 
I, th- I think the difficulty against West Ham was uh, West Ham did a very good job of keeping Jack Grealish quiet. And if well, you they played Jack two, Grealish... two right backs, didn't they? They played yeah. Soufal and Fredericks. Yeah, and it was a tactical masterclass from, from David Moyes. If you keep Grealish quiet, then Villa lose an awful lot of their creative spark. I mean, you you could tell me about the expected goals, but a Villa a team who create bags of chances anyway, or are they just quite ruthless when it comes to the chances that, that come their way? The impression I get is that they're pretty ruthless, but, you know, the stats may prove me wrong. Aston Villa's um, expected goals, is yeah, they create quite a lot of chances and they're underperforming. They don't convert enough of them, yeah. The complete opposite of what I thought then. Yeah, so they, they create about the same the same sort of chances. They create more chances than Leicester, more chances uh, than Everton, Tottenham, Chelsea. They create about as many, the, the similar sort of chances to Manchester United, although Manchester United are better at converting them. And, and I guess possibly as well as he's done this season, maybe there's a question mark over, you know, whether Ollie Watkins scores enough goals at the top level. Although he does seem to save his goals against the so-called big six. He's got a good record in that department. Do we still count Arsenal as a big six club? I think the interesting subplot to this game, obviously, and I'm speaking to him on Friday, is Emmy Martinez. Um, because Arsenal have had all kinds of problems in the goalkeeping department. Runison not good enough. Matty Ryan not fit, or wasn't for the game in midweek anyway. And Leno with that rush of blood to the head. Clearly, Arsenal sold their best goalkeeper to Aston Villa. And actually, I think Martinez has made a very good case this season for being the best goalkeeper at the moment in the Premier League. What, what I do know is he will be fired up for this game because I think it will have hurt. It will have hurt him. You know, he waited ten years to be the Arsenal number one. Won them the FA Cup, emotional interview after that game. And then as soon as Leno was fit, he was told he was going back to being number two again. What about Jack Grealish? Most chances created in the Premier League. He's won the most fouls in the in the Premier League, as we've already mentioned. They've had to double up on him, West Ham, to, uh, to nullify him in midweek. What will Arsenal do? Actually, during commentary of their game on Saturday night, I did say that um, he would be an ideal person if, if they ever recreated that scene from Only Fools and Horses where Del Boy falls through the bar because he's the best faller in the Premier League, isn't he, Jack Grealish? He, incredible the, the number of times that he goes to deck. Um, how will they double up on him? I don't know, actually. I, I don't know if they have the defensive discipline arsenal. <laughs> Darren liked that one. He just got it. Um, to double up on, on Jack Grealish. Obviously, Arteta proved at the end of last season that he can be tactically quite astute, but if it's Bellerin playing on that right-hand side, is he capable of switching on for the full 90 minutes and doing a man-marking job? I'm, I'm not convinced, actually. What I would say about Arsenal is they played really well up until David Luiz got sent off against Wolves. It was an excellent performance. They should, they should have been three or four goals the good, but what would worry Mikel Arteta is the way they imploded after that red card. They also don't really finish off those chances, do they? I mean, that is a that is a bit of an issue. They don't score enough goals for me. Yeah, I, I suppose that's a, a byproduct of having young players in the team. You don't necessarily get that consistency. And Saka in particular was a bit wasteful with his finishing in midweek. And also, you've still got the Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang problem. I know he's not been playing in recent matches for personal reasons, but clearly he's not been at his predatory best as he was last season. And Lacazette is a striker who misses a lot of good opportunities for every goal he scores he probably misses four chances. And there's a big Sunday to come as well, including Tottenham against West Brom and Sheffield United, Chelsea. West Brom and Sheffield United obviously played in midweek. It was a bit of a six-pointer. Sheffield United uh, won that by two goals to one. Billy Sharp with another crucial goal. And he scored four goals this season, uh, Billy Sharp. 
And it, all of them have been incredibly crucial. The equaliser against Fulham, the winner against Plymouth, the winner against West Bromwich Albion. Uh, he... He gets it, Billy Sharp. And I think when you do, you've got a player who loves the club and is is part of the fabric of of the fan base. It gives you an extra edge, doesn't it? Yeah, I think so. And, and Billy Sharp had opportunities to leave in the transfer window. Derby, one of a number of championship clubs who, who inquired to Sheffield United. And I think Chris Wilder wouldn't have stood in his way had Billy Sharp expressed a desire to leave. But that conversation was never required because we know he's a Sheffield United fan and is fighting tooth and nail to keep them in the Premier League. What would still be the most remarkable of great escapes? There's still 10 points adrift of safety, despite the fact they've improved. Um, and actually, I praised Aaron Ramsdale on Twitter the other night because I think in the past two or three matches, we're seeing what a good goalkeeper he is after a very difficult start. The Sydney's made some crucial saves in, in recent matches. I still think it's a massive task. I know privately Chris Wilder was disappointed not to be able to bring in any players in January he saw that as an indication from the board that maybe they'd already given up the ghost in terms of staying in the Premier League and, and we're looking ahead to next season but what we can't question now is is the spirit and the attitude and, and Billy Sharp very much embodies that and I don't think that was the case at the start of the season one or two players perhaps weren't giving their all they certainly are now um it was interesting because the uh, Saudi Arabian owner of um Sheffield United was on the Jim White show this week and he said he made a special trip over uh, to South Yorkshire to see Chris Wilder um, and, and say to him, look, you know, we can't spend loads of money because we have to be a little bit sensible about what we think was likely to happen. We'll probably be in the championship, so therefore we, we don't want to overstretch ourselves. But at the same time, whatever happens, you're going to be our manager. Don't panic about it. Even if you lose every game between now and the end of the season, you're our man. So they've sort of stuck by, uh, by him. They've They've looked after him, but they're also looking after the future of the football club, knowing that they think that he has got the best chance of bringing them them back up. Um, but they have started to, to sort of get the winning habit, haven't they, Darren? Uh, five yes. wins in seven games. But that, uh, that's the reason why I, I'm so glad that they stuck by him. I think another club would have sacked Chris Wilder. Let's not kid ourselves. And But I, I think he's got with that squad something that, the Chelsea squad didn't have under Lampard uh, in terms of the right mentality um, that for too long this season, the Arsenal squad didn't have under Arteta until he brought in the younger players who were hungry and didn't have the ego that some of the senior players have and, and, and the poison that led some of those players who weren't getting game time to have to be shipped out to stop infecting the other members of the squad who were committed Sheffield United are a committed squad. Their heads haven't dropped. Yes, absolutely, they can do it. Um, and I'm delighted for for Wilder. I'm not, in a way, they did need more quality in the window. But in another way, I'm not too fussed in so much as the mentality for me is the thing that is going to get them through this. And if they stay up, it will be one of the performances of the season. Um, Chelsea's first of two trips to Yorkshire this week. They go to Sheffield United on Sunday and to uh, Barnsley. Barnsley on TalkSport on Thursday. Um, Thomas Tuchel so far has had sort of quite a uh, luxurious uh, surroundings to uh, apply his trade. He's been at Stamford Bridge twice and then off to the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. It'd be a little bit different going to Barnsley and Sheffield United for him, wouldn't it? I mean, it'd be a new experience for him. He's never really had to, to, to go through that before. Well, I'm sure there were clubs of a similar stature in, in, in Germany. It wasn't Bayern Munich 
in the Allianz Arena every week. So, um, and, and obviously without the supporters, that takes away a bit of the hostility as well. I think Thomas Tuchel... Going, going to Oakwell though, isn't it? I mean, you know, it's a bit different. Well, yeah, I mean, let's hope he doesn't have to use the open air toilets uh, like we do when we go to the, the press room there. But I think Thomas Tuchel is experienced enough to be able to take that in his stride. What will be interesting in the FA Cup game is how seriously he takes that because it does take some foreign managers a bit of time to work out just how important the FA Cup is. He's already said he, he's going to take it really seriously because he knows he has to win something this year because otherwise he's going to come under pressure. Uh, will Tottenham Hotspur win something this year? They're taking on West Bromwich Albion. I mean, are West Bromwich Albion more likely to go down than Sheffield United, Darren? Yes. West Brom can't defend. Curiously, their record at home is worse than their record away. Okay, we accept that the fans aren't at home, but you should still, at home, be confident enough to be able to put the opposition to the sword. So it has been a weird season. We saw Wednesday night, didn't we? I think every away team were winners in the Premier League. Um, But as far as West Brom are concerned, this is the reason why I give them a chance in this game. They're away from home so that they do have every chance they'll give a good account of themselves. But I think Sheffield United have got something special. I think eight of their games this season, they've lost by a single goal. So they're in matches always. It's just about managing to finish teams off. I would like to see Brewster play more often. That's the only thing I would say. Uh, Harry Kane coming back for Tottenham Hotspur is not too far away. Apparently, Jose Mourinho believes that he could be back middle of this week. He won't play against West Brom but he might play against Everton or Man City in, in, in midweek. What do you think about that? I mean, is that, I mean, obviously he does rush himself back every now and again and sometimes makes these situations worse. Tottenham have to be careful about that because we've already seen how integral he is to them. Absolutely. I mean, we saw how in- integral he was to them with that toothless display against Brighton last weekend, but with the European Championships at the moment still on the horizon. I say that because I think it's still a bit unclear as to in what guise that will take place he would be silly Harry Kane to, to come back before he was ready. Um, they should be able to beat West Brom at home without Harry Kane, but it's a game where they're going to need to go on the front foot and, and, and impose themselves. And they haven't been great at doing that under Jose Mourinho. West Brom will, will try and stifle the life out of the game and, and stay in it for as long as possible. I, I'm intrigued that Darren seems so bullish about Sheffield United's hopes of staying up because I think we've seen now Brighton much improved um, Crystal Palace have, have won enough games, made one of the teams he could have been sucked in. Burnley were on a good run until this uh, this this recent couple of results. I still think Newcastle, if Callum Wilson stays fit, will win two or three more matches. That will be enough to keep them up. If Sheffield United are going to stay up, Darren, who on earth are they going to finish above? I, I think the bottom three are down. I, I, I think the reason I think they're going to stay up is that like I said before, every team has had peaks in form. Absolutely but dips in form as well. And I think they've been through their nightmare. And I think maybe one or two of the others have still got some a couple of dips to come. Yeah, a couple of good results for Newcastle, but we know that Newcastle are inconsistent. And we know that uh, just as you start to get optimistic about them, they, they start turning it in again. Brighton too, they've had a couple of fantastic results, but how long can that last? And, and At I think- 10 points from the last 12 available in Brighton's yeah, case. Absolutely. Stop conceding goals. The top six picture looked completely different to the way it looks, what, just four or five weeks ago. I think the key thing is here is that um, Sheffield United, although I don't believe that they'll stay up, it'd be a miracle if they stayed up. 
I think they've given themselves a much better chance and we're getting a truer reflection now of the Sheffield United that are rather than the Sheffield United that has appeared on paper because that they are are, are are much better than what we've seen in terms of results because they've they've been in they've been in matches they should not have a, a, the the lowly points total that they have I mean I haven't looked at it but I'm going to look at it now the expected points total that they've got they've got that their expected points is 21 points they've got 10 less than that they've got 10 less than their expected points the, the, the team above them West Bromwich Albion have an expected points total of 12.35. I think that's a truer reflection of the two teams' abilities, in my opinion. But we're 22 games into the season. Sheffield United need to win eight out of their last 16 matches. They've won three. Yeah, they need to do a Leicester. They need to do a Leicester City um, the year before Leicester City won the title. It's going to be very, very difficult for them Not to do happen. it. But I think that they're, they're, they're much better placed than than West Bromwich Albion are. I think we. I think we. We can all agree on that. The team if, that I think if, might if, if get, Sheffield United win eight games out of 16, I will do the last podcast of the season when they stay up naked. No one not wants to happen. see that. No not going to happen. That, but no one wants to see it. No one wants to see it. It's not going to happen because oh, we don't want please, you to do it. We'd yes. rather you just didn't. Yes. I don't want to see it. Why? why, why, why Darren, is Darren does. <laughs> why is it? No, he doesn't. The I'm public sure. demands it. They, they, they really don't. The public, they, they do. They uh, do. Out of all we, of we them. We all know how muscular... Shall shall we move on? It's time for Roulette Rivalry and producer Lucy is here. Hello, how are you? Hello. Um, Well, to tell you the truth, I'm not really having a very good morning. Was that because Crook just offered to uh, do the last podcast of the series naked? Well, yeah, and actually, I don't want that because I'll have to edit it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and that will be some job. Exactly. But no, this morning, I've ju- I've got heartburn because I just ate my toast too fast. Ooh. And also, I've just given myself a very severe paper cut. Ooh. How did you do that? What sort of paper are you using? Uh, 100 GSM? No, it's just quite thick paper. Ooh. Yeah, you've got to be careful with that. You know, you need to go and get... Go down to... Um, I think Audi can get very uh, sort of uh, thin but very useful printer paper. Lou, during the course of this series, you've had quite a few mishaps, haven't you? You've fallen over. Are you suggesting she's clumsy? Not in the slightest. I'm just... uh, Can you recall a few of the other ones that you had over the last six Um, months? I got stuck under the bed. Oh, yeah. That's the one. That's my favourite one. You're a bit of a klutz, aren't you? Yeah, I am. But as you've you've given me the advice before, Sam, if I remember rightly, I need to be more careful with my limbs. Yes, careful with your limbs. Yes, yeah, not always an easy thing to do. Anyway, what's coming up on Roulette Rivalry today? <laughs> so Roulette Rivalry this week is Burnley v Brighton. You'll have forty-five seconds to preview this match by using one of the players. So we'll start with you, Darren. Go on then. And I'm going to give you Brighton's Basuma. Eve Bissouma, wow. Um, well, he's a he's a really good player, and he's emerged actually as a potential target for Liverpool. Uh, he's only twenty three. He's from Mali. He's a player who's very good defensively, but can play uh, very intelligently further forward. And there has been some concern about the fact that Firmino does all this work, but maybe he drops too deep. And, and the feeling is that if he were to 
play further forward, then maybe Bissouma could play in an advanced position and be able to spray balls around and, and, and be able to play in passes. That would enable Firmino to get more goals. He's been fantastic so far for Brighton. We talked about their resurgence. Very good. Um, he's a very good player, isn't he? Um, yeah. And I think they're, they're looking at him, Liverpool, to replace Vinaldum if Vinaldum leaves on a free transfer. That's the one. That's the one. And the thing is, they like Ben. Ben. Oh, I don't think they'll get another defender now that they've got the two that they've got already. But I know they like Ben White as well. Everybody knows they like Ben White, so maybe they might be a double deal. But I think if the, if they took one, it would be Basuma. I think. Interesting. Bog off. Say again. Bog off. Buy one, get one free. <laughs> I thought you were just being rude then. Yeah, so did I. <laughs> so that's not like you. <laughs> if you th- if you think that if you think that Tony Bloom is going to give you buy one get one free, you're slightly mistaken. I think. No point. That's a fair point. Right, Sam. Yeah. I'm going to give you a bit of Ben Me. Oh, I'm delighted you gave me Ben Me uh, because um, Burn- Burnley got 22 points this season, and 21 of them have come since Ben Me came back from injury. That shows you how integral he is to their defence. I was talking about him on Jim White's show on Tuesday when I was filling in for Jim with Simon Jordan and just you know talking about the trajectory that Burnley had gone on since he'd returned from injury. He's an excellent defender. He reads the game well. He's very, very brave. He came through the Manchester City Academy, was discarded at a young age. He ended up going to Burnley and making a name for himself. He's very well thought of around the club. He is uh, he's an excellent character to have in the dressing room and he's a very good defender. I know that James Tarkovsky alongside him is also well thought of and quite rightly so because he's been superb but Ben Mee is a star beautiful that thanks Luce right Crook let's go to you keep your clothes on for this one (laughs) and we'll go for Robert Sanchez it was a big call from Graham Potter uh, Matt Ryan having been Brighton's number one since they were promoted to the Premier League to dispense with him and, and, and give Sanchez his chance and as Sam will tell us, uh, when it came to expected goals, Matty Ryan was badly underperforming. There was a stage this season when every shot the opposition had on target was going past him. Sanchez hasn't done anything spectacular to stop that run. He's just been more solid, more reliable, more commanding of the penalty area. And if you look at the way that Brighton have tightened up defensively by having that extra security in behind them, the extra faith in the goalkeeper. You have to say that decision has been vindicated. Whether he will be their long-term number one, I'm not sure. They they think very highly of Christian Walton, who played in the FA Cup earlier this season. Fascinating, isn't it? The way that um, their form has changed after making that change, despite the fact that actually did go on a bit of a wander on Wednesday night against Liverpool, didn't he, at one stage? And you just thought, where are you going? He was probably way. bored by the by the lack of uh, lack of <laughs> yeah, tests that he's had. Yeah, and had to make a save during that. Right. Okay. Let's move on. Lookman tears down the left for Fulham. Swings in a great delivery, and the header is in. Caballero. Am I looking at a team here that are, are wilting away slowly to a slow death? Not at all. I see a team that that are fully committed to understanding what the job is in hand. Aston Villa 1, West Ham 3, and Jesse Lingard, on debut, has now scored two of the goals. We're really pleased because of the, the way the players have played and the results we've had. You know, we want to keep that going as long as we can. Fulham against West Ham United, Wolves against Leicester and Newcastle Saints to look at. Fulham uh, in a situation where they need to win games. They're taking on a, a very good West Ham uh, United side. Uh, this is going to be an incredibly difficult uh, tale for Scott Parker. But Josh Madger is in the building now. What difference is he going to make? Darren Lewis. 
Well, they'll be hoping he can make a considerable difference because I was at the game between Fulham and Leicester on Wednesday night and they just are so toothless in front of goal. And Parker talked about it after the match and said, I see everything to suggest to me that we've got a fighting chance, but we need to be taking our chances. Mitrovic is a curious one for me. You look at him and you'd, you'd think with all the issues that he's had that maybe he's over 30, he's only 26 and yet he doesn't manage to string enough games together. When he does play, he doesn't look fit enough for me. Had a good chance before Leicester opened the scoring and he didn't take it. And I think he doesn't take enough of those opportunities. And I think if they had a better striker, they would have a real chance, an even better chance of staying up. So hopefully, well, there is an opportunity for Marja to get in there and keep that centre-forward slot. It's a question now whether he can take it. Uh, only lost four of the last 12 in 90 minutes, uh, Fulham, but they haven't won any of the last 13. And that's where the problem arises, isn't it? That's why they need magic. That's why they need goals, because they've sorted out the other end of the pitch where they were conceding for fun, but they can't find winners no, and obviously if Josh Madger does play, um, he's got that connection with David Moyes having played under him at Sunderland. I think Madger was on West Ham's extensive list of uh, potential striker reinforcements. And a lot of West Ham fans were disappointed they didn't sign a striker. But if you look at the form of Jesse Lingard uh, in the week, maybe Moyes knows a bit more than they do. They've got a lot of players actually who could play in that central striker role. None of them actually, even Antonio, are what you would call out-and-out out number nines. They've got plenty of attacking talent. I think it's a tough game for Fulham. Um, they're hardworking. There's plenty of endeavour. I just think there's not quite enough quality to stay in the Premier League. And like Sheffield United and West Brom, I think it's a massive uphill task. Darren has already waxed lyrical about David Moyes. I'm really enjoying this West Ham team. I thought they were superb against Aston Villa. I watched a lot of that game in preparation for my trip to Villa Park. They've got two real fans' favourites, the two players they've signed from, from the Czech Republic everybody is pulling in the right direction, which hasn't always been the case. I think they could qualify for Europe, West Ham. If, if they are going to qualify for Europe, this is the type of game they have to be winning. Wolves against Leicester is a big game as well for both those two teams. Wolves in a very difficult situation, helped out against Arsenal. They won that match by two goals to one. But although it is concerns after what had become a worrying run of eight games without a win in the, in the Premier League, they weren't very good, were they? I mean, even with nine men towards the end, there was a there was a free kick flung into the box and you thought, hold on a second, this all, this could all go wrong here for, for Nuno Espirito Santo. Yeah, and I, I messaged you after the first goal went in and maybe harshly said some of these Wolves players seem to have given up. I mean, it was such a bad goal to concede, not not just the mistake from Semedo, but his teammates didn't give him much help either. And Mistake singular or mistakes well, exactly. Four uh, of but them we, in one goal. But anyone who's dealt with Nuno um, in the media will know he's quite an abrasive character. And if he's like that with us, I would I would venture that he's like that in the dressing room as well, which I think he's fine when things are going well. But I think you can easily lose the players in that scenario. He's not a happy bunny. That They're a club who are frowning. Whereas in the first two years in the Premier League, they're a club who were smiling. Um, and I'm not convinced that Nuno will still be the Wolves manager this time next season. I think he's missing Portugal. I think he's suffered as a result of the the COVID situation. And maybe they need freshening up. Um, in the head-to-head between these two, Wolves have lost just one of the last five meetings. And despite that thrilling 4-3, which I think we all sort of look back to whenever we talk about Wolves and Leicester in the same sentence, that marvellous match where Diego Jota was absolutely sensational. 
Um, that was two years ago now. Three of the last five between these two have been nil-nil. Are we expecting a similar sort of result at the weekend, Darren? No, uh, because I think that there are goals in this one. Um, there's a case to be made for either side. I know the game uh, involving Wolves in midweek wasn't great, but it didn't need to be. Sometimes if you're a striker, you want one to go in off your backside. That was the equivalent, really. They just needed to get the points, and maybe that might get the confidence back. But as I said before, I was at Leicester's win over Fulham, and James Madison was pure gold. And I think uh, Leicester... As a team, Vardy won't be back. Brendan Rodgers was telling us after the match, but he is in in training. I mean, listen, he might well be back. I don't know, but he was very, very cautious about Vardy. But even if he isn't back, Iheanacho scored. The confidence he'll get from scoring that goal will be massive. But Madison, I mean, the guy could be in a crowded telephone box and still find room to open up a broadsheet newspaper. He's so good at finding space. He's so good at bringing other people into the play. And Roger said if Kevin De Bruyne had provided the assist for Iheanacho's goal, people would still be raving about it. And maybe he's right. Maybe Madison is underrated, but he's the guy. He didn't score, but he's pivotal to that football team at the moment. Yeah, it'd be fascinating to see what happens in the second half of the season. I think the uh, the memories from last campaign where they've tailed off during the second half of the season certainly very much fresh in Brendan they'll learn from that though Rogers I don't see memory. that happening again yeah, yeah exactly that's what I mean They're, it's fresh in their memory um, Southampton against uh, Newcastle away from home so it's Newcastle against Southampton is a Saturday 3 o'clock uh, kickoff. Uh, Southampton were missing nine first teamers on Wednesday when they were beaten 9-0 this is the ninth game that we're looking at uh, today 9-9-9 uh, um no Bednarek, no Jankovic suspended. So bearing in mind they're already missing nine first-teamers, what does that mean? Crook, I mean, are they searching around uh, Staplewood going, please, please play for us? Yeah, Graham Courtney might have to take his boots that game if he's covering it for TalkSport. Um, Bednarek might be available because they have lodged an appeal against his suspension. I think they're semi-confident they could win that. What I'm pleased about is that despite some scurrilous reports to the country that... <laughs> I don't believe they're going to approach the PGMOL and ask them not to allocate Mike Dean and Lee Mason to their games. They did this a few years ago, you may remember, when Mark Clattenburg had the audacity to take the mickey out of Adam Lallana mid-match and asked for him to be removed from their future games. I think the response was to put him on their very next match. And, and rightly so, the football clubs can't start demanding which referees take charge of their game. Mike Dean may be incompetent at times, but he's not biased against Southampton. Let's take that off the table. He, he, um, he also didn't make that many mistakes in the game against Wednesday. Well, exactly. Wednesday uh, I think he, uh, he applied the laws correctly. Yeah. Um, the Bednarek red card was was probably harsh. Ha- um, harsh only in the fact that the law is harsh. Yeah, exactly. You know, um, he, he, he had no choice in that. He, I mean, he, he, he wasn't going to send him off, by the way. Let's remember that. It was the, it was the VAR who, who reminded him that he had to send him off. Yeah, and I think that the reason Southampton was so shocked is because the impression that they had and, and, and probably what everybody else had was that he was looking to see if it was a penalty or not. He wasn't. He was looking to see if it was a red card. So it was a it was a double blow for them. But listen, their injury problems are well documented. And actually, we, we talked about Jurgen Klopp wanting his team to play with intensity. Ralph Hasenhutl demands the same day in, day out in training in matches as well. And I think with the small squad, that has caught up with them now. There's a lot of tired players there. Um, they've conceded 34 goals in the Premier League this season, Darren Southampton. But 18 of them have come in three games. So if you take those three games out of the equation, <laughs> they haven't actually conceded very many goals, Southampton. I mean, defensively, no. they've been pretty good over the course of the campaign. 
And the interesting thing is that they went into the window wanting, into deadline day, wanting to sign Ainsley, Maitland, Niles and or Nico Williams on loan. Um, they didn't get either. They did get Minamino. And Amino, that that signing actually took my breath away when I saw it because I just thought, wow, at the fact that Liverpool had let him go. Uh, Klopp has since said he wanted him to get more opportunities. Um, and wow, in terms of the fact that Southampton managed to get him, to be fair, they've given enough of their players to Liverpool. And Minamino probably realised that the best way to get into the Liverpool team was by playing for Southampton. Yeah. But I think as far as Minamino is concerned, it's their forward line that maybe he might give them a little bit of optimism. You know, maybe he might give them a bit of X factor going into this game. I said that Newcastle can be a bit inconsistent. A lot of people expecting to see what Southampton will turn up. The reason they stick with Hassan Hootl as crook, you know, far better than me is because he has a plan. <laughs> let's be um let's let's be positive then. You, the last thing we, the last thing we're gonna say on the podcast is something very, very positive. Newcastle are playing better. There you go. They've had 43 shots in their last two home matches. Yeah, they've only scored two of them, but they've had 43 shots. <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't really know where to go with that. Listen, exactly. it, it, in Callum Wilson, they have got a striker who has scored goals this season. 12 goals now in a team that before the past few matches hadn't created a lot of chances, and that's why they're going to be okay. And again... The Newcastle board have shown a lot of faith in Steve Bruce. They allowed him to, to bring in players in the summer. They allowed him to bring in Joe Willock, who I think will be a very good signing in January. All of the noise around Steve Bruce, as I understand it, is being generated from outside the club. I think the powers that be are pretty happy with the job that Steve Bruce is staying. Their aim is to stay in the Premier League. And at the moment, they're on course to do that. And as you say, they are slightly more pleasing on the eye now, which has been a big stick that the Newcastle fans have used to beat their manager with. It's been a good week of football. We're hoping for a good weekend as well. And we'll see you all next Monday. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply.